Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney. Um, and Eric, it's been a bit of a rough week here in the Vermont branch uh, of the podcast. Uh, as I mentioned to you, I think the other day, my laptop just upped and died with no word of warning at all. And that was a laptop that had lasted me a lot longer than laptops have tended to last for me. Uh, it's a, lasted a good eight years. Mm. Uh, my previous one gave up the ghost when I was in Macau, which was inconsiderate of it, but there you go. It had done fine since then, no, no problems whatsoever, and then just suddenly, poof, there it goes. But um, So I was irritated by that, but laptops are reasonably cheap these days. Mm -hmm. Unlike, however... The other expense that I then got hit with um, here in Vermont, um, your car has to pass like an annual inspection, safety and whatnot. Um, I've had my car, which is a Jeep Cherokee, uh, longer than I've had my laptop since 1999, in fact. Mm. And it failed its inspection and making the necessary repairs just cost me just a couple cups of coffee, less than $3,000, $3,000 to fix a Jeep. And I hardly ever drive it even. <laughs> but uh anyway i have a solution uh not entirely coincidentally i am working on a proposal that our podcast move from weekly to hourly yes boxing bulletins and news every hour on the hour with of course a concomitant increase in compensation uh what, what do you say you in uh well hold on let me look up concomitant in the dictionary first <laughs> and get back to you <laughs> not from uh, context clues i think i can put it together but not familiar with that word but uh so on the one hand i I like the idea of making more money. Uh, right. On the other hand, that sounds like a lot of effort. You know right. how I feel about effort. Yes. Um, so that so so we need a tiebreaker, and the tiebreaker I think is um, not to get too far ahead of ourselves with this week's podcast, but uh, you and I know how much we struggled on this particular slow week in boxing to come up with enough topics for a weekly show. So that would be a concern for an hourly boxing show. <laughs> a lack of you know stuff to talk about so mm. in the end um sorry I'm, I'm, I'm not with you on this uh karen i i, I do feel for you though uh the one-two punch of the laptop and the jeep that really sucks uh but I, i'll share what my mom always says in these situations it's only money mm. uh, words of wisdom from merrill raskin or maybe words of privilege you decide <laughs> <laughs> but uh but it does suck and um if there's anything i can do to help as long as it doesn't require much time or effort or any of my money, uh, just ah. let me know, okay? I was about to say, right, then I'll have three thousand dollars, please. <laughs> you cut me off from that. Yeah, no. Uh, you can you can ask my mom. Maybe she'll loan you some money. <laughs> it is only money. <laughs> That's right. You can throw that in her face it. when you make the request. <laughs> exactly. Yes, I'll try that out on the mortgage company as well. I'm sure it'll go fine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, look, as you mentioned, it has been a relatively quiet week in the world of boxing, uh, but we still have plenty to talk about. Uh, we will look at Shakur Stevenson's basically shutout win over Robson Concisau and uh, Joe Joyce's 11th round knockout of Joseph Parker. Uh, we have some news to cover, uh, including some verbal back and forth among the top heavyweights. Um, Eric's going to ask me to don my matchmaker's cap. We have another edition of Make the Match coming up. But first... On Saturday, October 8th, Showtime Championship Boxing returns with the main event featuring rising junior middleweight contender Sebastian Fundora as he takes on Carlos Acampo. And on the undercard will be his younger sister, Gabriella, who is 8-0 with four KOs since turning pro last May. And I'm happy to say we are joined by both of them right now. Sebastian, Gabriella, thanks for joining us on the Showtime Boxing Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having us. 
so it, it isn't very often that we see a brother and sister fighting on the same card, and this will be the first time you two have done this. How special is this going to be for you both? And and also, how did this come about? And I guess in the time-honored tradition of ladies first, uh, I'll, I'll ask you first, Gabriella. How, how did this come together, and how special is it to you? It's very special, you know, but to be able to fight on his card and him being the main event is just was soon gonna happen but it's very exciting that, that we get to share the night together what, what what about your perspective on it uh sebastian and, and can you talk a little bit about about how this came together yeah i'm i'm, I'm happy i'm happy that 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 showtime's giving her the chance a female fighter to 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 perform on such a platform like this you know uh, i'm definitely happy that's my sister as well so so i'm just excited for 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 my sister to put on a great show uh, as well as me, you know, uh, to put on a great show for, for Southern California. Gabriella, watching video of you in the ring, I thought to myself, if I didn't already know you were Sebastian's sister, I'd assume you were Sebastian's sister. Like, the physical similarities are pretty striking. Um, I get the impression, though, that you have slightly different fighting styles. It looks to me that you like to stand a little bit outside and use your long arms to get to get torque on your punches more from outside and is that accurate would you say and what do you think about the way your brother likes to fight on the inside all the time yeah his, his style of fighting amazing too you know he's a power hitter so he knows how to always for the most part he gets the job done with his uppercuts so he's doing something good um yeah i i, I like to think my style of boxing is uh like graceful almost like a dance i like to think of it as a dance so you like to, you do seem like you like to use your footwork. You like to control the distance a lot more. You like to not give your opponents the opportunity to get close enough to you. No. Why, why would I want to get hit? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, that, that's a question some people might uh, ask your brother after the uh, grueling fight that, uh, that he just had. So, so Sebastian, let me, let me turn to you. I mean, you're, you're coming off the best win of your career over Erickson Lubin, but it, it was a tough fight. You got hit, you got knocked down. You also hit him quite a bit and, and made a mess of his face. This is a rough, tough sport. I'm curious how you feel about your kid sister being part of it. You know, I, I hate to play into, into gender stereotypes, but, you know, do you or did you at first struggle with the idea of her being a boxer? I never, I never struggled with the idea because um, she, she knows what she's doing. She always knows what she's doing. Um, maybe when she stepped into the program, it, I didn't question it, but I was a little bit more nervous because uh, it's a different sport, you know. But um, after watching that fight, the second fight, the third fight, by the fourth fight, I was like, you know what? No, she's she's doing really good. You know, there's some stuff that she does even better than me. So there's more, you know, I'm, I'm more than sure that, that, that she'll be okay in the ring. <laughs> Right. But I, I'm I imagine it's still even even though you have a lot of confidence in her at this point, that it's still probably a little nerve wracking to watch her fight. And specifically on the same card as you a couple hours before you get in the ring. Will you be watching or do you kind of want to sit that one out when she's fighting on the same card as you? I have to watch. It. I okay. have to watch this fight. I've been there the whole camp. You know, she's obviously there with me, too. So I have to see the end result. It's like watching the whole movie and then not seeing the ending. I have to see the ending. <laughs> Okay. okay. Uh, Gabriella, ESPN recently published its 25 top boxers under the age of 25. Sebastian was in there at number six, but despite only turning pro last year, you're already in there at number 17. Was that a surprise? And how does it feel to know that there are already such high expectations of you? This is only the beginning of my boxing career to be on there. You know, it just shows that hard work pays off. 
I mean, were you were you surprised to, to see that? I mean, how did it feel? You were the top woman rated on that list as well. Yeah, yeah, uh, exciting, very exciting, and, and to kind of have a like a almost like a leadership, like okay, we're gonna we're gonna it's a showcase of women boxing in a new era. Um, so, so as, as Kieran mentioned, Gabriella, you, you only turned pro last year, but you've already had nine pro fights uh, and October 8th will be your fourth outing this year. Is that the plan for the foreseeable future to, to keep busy and face as many different types of opponents as possible? Of course, of course. Should I stay busy as possible? Um, people are always, well, boxing is always happening. So it's, it's a quick sport that, that people can forget. So we try to stay active, especially for women boxing, we try to stay active as much as possible. And, and, and what do you know specifically about your opponent for October 8th? What, what can you tell us about her style-wise? Have you seen video of her? What, what, what are you thinking going into this? She, she, she's a solid opponent. She comes to fight, you know, so she's gonna, it's going to be fireworks. It's going to be a great fight. And, you know, just hope the fans will enjoy it. Uh, Sebastian, you said that you think Gabriella might become a champion before you because she's such a workhorse, but... You're on a pretty good path yourself. Um, if you get past Carlos Acampo on the eighth, have you been given any indication that a title shot will be next, or do you expect to have to wait a while longer, whatever happens? Yeah, well, honestly, it, it, I don't really care for anything right now. I know I'm the mandatory, WBC mandatory. I think that's all the the clear, uh, like like uh, that's all I need to know. You know, uh, I'm gonna continue on my career. I have uh, Carlos Acampo in front of me, so I need to take care of this. He's a, a ranked fighter, an elite fighter. So, you know, one step at a time. I'm going to take this step in, see how everything goes. We're going to get the victory, and then um, we'll see from there. What are some of the challenges you're ex- especially expecting from Carlos Acampo? Well, he's a strong uh, Mexican fighter, very frontal. He's uh, pretty big for the weight, too. Uh, not uh, like us, but, but he's still a big fighter as well. So we'll see uh, um, how he comes out. Either he'll be a boxer. But I think it's going to be more of a frontal try to pressure and, and use his power and advantages like that. Um, so this month is Hispanic Heritage Month. Um, uh, I'll ask you first, Sebastian. Uh, I'm curious, how important is it to you to not just represent yourself well and your family well in and out of the ring, but to also represent and inspire other members of the Latino community? Well, it's, it's, it's great that this month is uh, um, uh, Hispanic Heritage Month. But, uh, um, and, 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 you know, uh, I feel like with every fight, um, I represent the Mexican culture and my sister as well. We wear our hats or, 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 or stuff like that. You know, the way we fight, we entertain the Southern California fans or we represent our, our, our culture well. But, you know, next month is October, which really is a breast cancer month. So if anything, I want to focus more on that and the awareness for that. Oh, that's, Especially that's... Uh, my sister's fighting as well, too. So it's good for the sport of boxing on the women's side as well. Uh, more focused on that one, if anything. Oh, that's, that, that's great. I hadn't even thought about that, but that, yeah, we get to uh, co- cover a couple of important causes to be aware of at, at the same time and yes. uh, commemorate a couple of things. Uh, just one thing, though, that you, you mentioned, you know, representing the Mexican people, but uh, am I correct that, that your father, uh, his roots are from Cuba? Is that right? Yes, he is. Yes, he's Cuban, but he left Cuba when he was five. I'm just more comfortable with my Mexican side. It, 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 and it plays well with my boxing as well. So, uh, you know, look where I'm at. I'm in California. This is all Mexico right here. So, <laughs> Okay. Um, finally, one for both of you. This card is at Dignity Health Park. 
Uh, I think, Gabriella, it's your third fight there. You, you started your career there, I believe. And Sebastian, I think it might be your second time there. Yes. It's a, always a great place to be ringside. Um, it always feels as if something magical happens in there. Does it, always, does it also feel like a special place to fight as well? Yeah, it feels like uh, home. <laughs> <laughs> like home, the, the public loves us, so we're just going to do our thing. Yeah, and I, I only fought there once, but I've been there many times already, so I feel, again, yeah, it is a second home to us. I feel like everywhere in Southern California is a second home to us. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's a great event. It's, it's going to be a great event. You know, two Mexicans fighting each other. So uh, I expect the fans to, to enjoy. It's, uh, it's renowned for its exciting fights. You're both exciting action fighters. So hopefully there'll be uh, plenty to look forward to on October 8th. And best of luck to you both. And thanks again for joining us on the Showtime Boxing Podcast. We really appreciate it. Thank, Thank you guys for always having us. Okay. Uh, our, our thanks again to the Fundora siblings. Um, and, and that makes three appearances on the podcast inside like five or six months, I think, for, for Sebastian. Yeah. Uh, he's, a, he's a volume puncher and a volume podcast guest. Uh, hey, and maybe he'd be up for uh, co-hosting an hourly boxing podcast with you, Kieran. But you, you never know. Well, I think you do know. <laughs> yeah, you probably do. I was going to say, you don't know if you don't ask, but eh, in this case, you probably yeah. know even if you don't ask. Exactly. So he must be coming up on the lead now. Is Gary Russell still and Stephen Espinosa, are they still the leaders? Or do you think they've been overtaken by now? Well, over to... over the course of the four years or so that we've been that we've been doing the podcast for Showtime, I, I don't think three puts him in the lead. But certainly for the, for this year, he's he's got to be yes. the leader. No one's been yes. on three times this year, right? Podcast Guest of the Year Award coming up. <laughs> Possibly, yes. Don't want to give it away, though. There's still a few months left. So right. let's, let's see how it plays out. Um, all right, let's talk about this past weekend's fights. There are two main cards to cover, both of which were on ESPN or ESPN Plus here in the U.S. We go first to the Manchester Arena in Manchester, England, where on Saturday, heavyweight Joe Joyce remained unbeaten with an impressive 11th round knockout of Joseph Parker. This was quality stuff from two world-class heavyweights, competitive just about to the end. Parker had his moments with his faster hands, allowing him to unleash combinations, especially early in the contest. But Joyce is called the juggernaut for a reason. He just kept coming forward, as he does, walking through fire with that great chin of his and wearing Parker down minute by minute, and finally uncorking a short left hook that sent Parker crashing into the ropes and onto the canvas in the corner. The New Zealander wasn't quite able to beat the count, getting to his feet just as referee Steve Gray reached the count of 10. He now falls to 30-3 and three with 21 KOs. All three of his defeats have come to British foes, but Joyce is the first one to stop him. Joyce, meanwhile, climbs to 15-0 and 0 with 14 knockouts, only Brian Jennings so far lasting the distance against the 2016 Olympic silver medalist. Kieran, if Joyce was on the outer edge of the heavyweight picture before... He is surely fully in the frame now. What did you make of his performance, and who would you like to see him up against next? Yeah, I thought Joyce was tremendously impressive. I really did expect him to take quite a bit longer to get the measure of Parker. Um, but I gave Parker, I think, the first and fourth, and then one other round. Was it like the ninth or something he came to life? Yeah. A bit, and, and that was it. Uh, it was evident early on that Parker was really struggling with Joyce's raw strength. Um, I think it says a lot about Parker's skill set and extreme toughness that he lasted as long as he did and that he was competitive in rounds for as long as he was um Joyce is interesting isn't he? he 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 doesn't appear to do anything super well he isn't fleet of foot or fist his defense is a little porous his jab can sometimes be a bit sloppy and a bit more of a backhanded jab but 
you know, some boxers are just naturally heavy handed. They just have that heft to their punches that I, I'm not sure you can teach. Gennady Golovkin was like that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he would just touch guys and they looked hurt. And, and Joyce is another. He doesn't obviously torque into his punches. He just throws them short and straight. They find their target and the punishment just starts accumulating. Um, And, and he's also... Because of that way that he fights, he, he's pretty relaxed in the ring. He doesn't seem to show express, change expression or show any weariness. He just keeps coming, kind of like the Terminator. And and because his punches are so effective so early, because they're so heavy, it isn't long before his opponents start backing up. And once that happens, then he's able to take advantage. You know, he doesn't necessarily have the footwork to cut off the ring if you're a great mover, not that many heavyweights are. But once he gets you going in straight lines... That's all he needs to sort of limit your escape and start enveloping you. He, he actually reminds me a little bit of um, the comeback version of George Foreman mm. in that he's so relaxed, he's heavy handed, he's expressionless, and he just goes about his business. You know, Foreman 2.0, I think, had a better defense, but like Joyce, he, he had a terrific chin. Um, honestly, Joyce showed enough for me. I feel comfortable like expanding the, the heavyweight big four into a big five. I, I actually start him as a favorite i think against anthony joshua he isn't as skilled but he just seems much more resilient much more solid and i can absolutely see him grinding aj down i'd make him the underdog against tyson fury who's one man he would struggle to push backward uh, and he'd be at both a physical and skill disadvantage there but Usyk or Wilder would be fascinating. Mm. Um, I mean, you'd expect Usyk to outbox and outmove him early, but how long could he keep Joyce off him? You know, could he really go 12 rounds without being worn down? I- I'm not sure. Um, and Deontay Wilder would be fascinating. I was actually thinking about that matchup while I was watching Joyce <laughs> yeah. Parker. Um, Joyce would be a nightmare for Wilder in many respects. Wilder just cannot fight going backwards. The problem is that not many people can do it to him, but Joyce would. Um, but at the same time, Joyce could be hit flush. Parker did that quite a few times and Joyce didn't flinch. But if Wilder lands those kind of clean shots, you know, maybe we have an entirely different story. And honestly, I think that's the heavyweight fight I would most love to see right now in many ways. Yeah. Um, boy, any of those are, are really interesting. And there's no denying now that jo- Joyce is in this conversation at the top of the heavyweight division, which which actually leads into the tweet of the week. So let me do that before I get into mm. some of my deeper thoughts on, on the fight and on Joyce's performance. Um, now, there was a suggestion from a listener to give it to BoxRec Gray for the second week in a row, but I'm <laughs> not going to do that. And uh, you, Karen, sent me a great Dick Hercules tweet to consider, but I'm not giving him another one this week. Although I am having thoughts about renaming this award for dick uh you know and instead of the tweet of the week maybe it's the weekly dick hercules award for excellence in tweeting something like go. that um so uh, yeah i'll just make the executive decision the the dick hercules award for excellence in tweeting this week goes to our fellow boxing journalist cliff rolled uh who tweeted at the conclusion of joyce parker tyson fury and Usyk probably texting each other right now saying, let's protect each other from this nightmare by fighting (laughs) sooner than later. Um, It's an interesting observation. Joe Joyce is undoubtedly a nightmare, as uh, Cliff said, uh, in his way. And look, Fury Usyk is the fight at heavyweight. Um, I know we have the Fury Usyk AJ triangle coming up on our outline as something to discuss in the news segment. But I'll just say for now that what's best for boxing is if Fury Usyk happens next. It's mm-hmm. lineal champ versus top contender. It clarifies for the moment who's the man. And if either of them faces Joe Joyce first, 
that could yeah. very well blow it up. Um, although, at the same time, I think Joyce would have big problems with the speed of either Fury or Usyk. He's a big danger to them. They're a big problem for him. If I was managing Joe Joyce, I'd jump at either of those fights right now if offered. I mean, Joyce is 37. No yeah. sense wasting time. He's somewhat inexperienced as a pro, but he's fully formed. He is what he is, strengths and weaknesses. I don't yeah. know that another year of fighting contenders will make him more ready for a title shot. He's as ready as he's going to be right now. And I do wonder if, as Cliff Rold suggests, his performance Saturday might push Fury and Usyk together more quickly. Um, but so uh, to talk a moment about Joyce versus Parker. Yeah, I mean, how could you not be impressed with Joyce here? There was a sort of a conventional wisdom in some quarters that he would walk Parker down, but would have to come from behind on points to do it because of Parker's superior speed and skill. Joyce never really fell behind in this fight. It was certainly close the first half, but he was pretty well ahead and entering the 11th. There wasn't even much drama remaining. It was clear Joyce was going to win, although he then, to his credit, created drama by landing that left hook and getting the knockout. But this was a great performance from Joyce. Better overall, I think, than his win over Dubois. Um, and by the way, if Joyce ends up winning the heavyweight title, maybe anyone who wrote off Dubois yep. due to one upset loss needs to reconsider. Um, but anyway, great win Saturday for Joe Joyce. And if that chin is what it appears to be, He's potentially, as Rold said, a nightmare for anybody. We'll see. Great chins are often great until all of a sudden they aren't. But yes. for now, it looks like nobody can hurt this guy. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the co-main event of the Manchester card, where Amanda Serrano, last seen at lightweight against Katie Taylor, scored a wide unanimous decision win over Sarah Mafood to add a featherweight belt to her growing collection. It wasn't the kind of spectacular performance we've come to associate with Serrano, but... Kieran, given that you said beforehand that Mafood would be good enough to show that she belonged, but not good enough to particularly trouble Serrano, did the fight pan out more or less as you anticipated? More or less is right. Yeah, I, I did, though, think that Serrano would be likely to stop her. And once she got into her groove in about the third round, I absolutely thought she was going to stop her. But yeah, look, like like I mentioned, Mafood is actually a pretty good boxer, and she showed plenty enough movement and ring smarts to get her through the contest. Um, she even had some moments herself toward the end uh, as Serrano slowed down a little. Um, you know, plus, again, I know I keep harping on this, but arguably the best female fighter in the world is granted just 10 two-minute rounds to do her work, right. right? In terms of time, that's only a little more than half what male champions get. Um, it's remarkable that she has as many stoppages as she has, given that restriction. But yeah, I, I thought, I said that, like I, like you mentioned, I, I said that I thought Mafood would prove she deserved to be in the ring with Serrano, and I thought she did that. Um, how a place like the Faroe Islands can produce a good boxer like her, I, I don't know. Um, but she's probably like 10% of the population there. But, um, <laughs> but I doubt that we've seen the last of her. Um, you know, all that said... If you were wondering if the Katie Taylor fight took something out of Serrano, maybe there was enough there to give you a little bit of confidence in your assessment. As you know, Serrano, she could have done a bit better at times to really cut off the ring. You know, Mafood was technically sound, but she was predictable. It was clear early on what she was doing. But, you know, in the latter half of the contests, Serrano did a pretty good job of keeping her in front of her. I, I just think it was just one of those nights where the priority is to get the job done. She won the fight convincingly. Um, Mafood is better than probably many people thought going in. Serrano gets another win, another belt, moves on to the next payday, I think. 
Yeah, it's interesting you raised the point of the whether the Katie Taylor fight possibly took a little something out of her. Because, you know, Serrano, she's great. She absolutely is. She's also 33 and a, yeah. and a veteran of 46 pro fights who moves all up and down the yeah. weight scale. So I'm at least on high alert for her to show signs of slowing down. Um, some would say that they saw some here that, uh, that that she faded slightly in the last few rounds because Katie Taylor maybe took something out of her. I wouldn't go that far, but we should be on slippage watch going forward yeah. with Serrano, perhaps. But also, she just maybe fought a bit uninspired down the stretch because this was easy for her. Yeah. Uh, Kieran, much like a two-year-old who doesn't want to eat her peas, for the first six rounds or so, Serrano was playing with my food. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Good night. Yeah. That hourly podcast seems a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was about to say. You, you're, you're welcome to retract the invitation for that. I, I, it's, it's a, it's a miracle that you're willing to do it weekly even really. I could not use it, though. It occurred to me I had to use it. Sorry. I'm amazed he sat on it all this time and didn't tweet it out or anything. <laughs> I, I thought about it, and then I was like, oh, no. I would like to torture Kieran with this on the podcast. Oh. <laughs> if we were able to, like, watch how – if assuming that everybody all started listening to this at the same time, it would be really interesting to see how many people were logging off right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we get like a note from the boss. Gee, a lot of people quit listening at the 16-minute mark this week. What was that about? <laughs> All right. Um, what else? Let me see. Friday night, we also had a fight card at the Prudential Center in Newark, New Jersey. Uh, Shakur Stevenson lost his 130-pound titles on the scale when he weighed in at 131.6, and he promptly announced that he simply couldn't make the weight anymore and would henceforth be campaigning at lightweight, which was something that he had, had suggested would be the case a short while back, actually. Um, while that meant he wouldn't be able to retain his belts, Robson Concesau could have won them if he managed to go one step further than he did when losing a highly controversial decision to Oscar Valdez in September 2021. But Stevenson had just comfortably handled Valdez, and he wasn't troubled by Concesau either, dropping him with a body shot in the fourth round. And despite losing a point after throwing him to the canvas in the ninth, uh, winning by scores of 117-109 twice and 118-108, Concesau drops to 17-2 and with eight knockouts. But that focus is squarely on Stevenson, who climbed to 19-0 with nine knockouts. Um, Eric, a couple of questions for you. I think I'm correct in saying that you've referred to Stevenson as pound-for-pound pound adjacent or something of that nature before. Is he getting any closer to becoming a fixture on your pound for pound list. And how do you think you'll fare at lightweight? And is his seeming lack of knockout power likely to affect his chances of success at lightweight in the ring and also becoming a star outside of it? So I actually do have Shakur in my top 10 pound for okay. pound. I moved him in when he dominated Valdez. I have him at number nine currently, but there's a lot of room for debate there. He's Somewhere between about 8 and 13, I'd say. He's either either in the bottom three spots of the top 10 or the next three just outside. And I'm not going to move him off this performance. You know, I'm not going to dock him for failing to make weight. But I think he would have needed to knock Concesao out to warrant mm. consideration to move up a spot or two. And it looked for a while like he might indeed knock him out, thanks to the body shots. But he didn't remain as committed to going to the body and Concesau lasted the distance. So this goes down as what we kind of warned last week, how these mega-skilled boxers like mm -hmm. Floyd and Whitaker and Roy, that 
it just wasn't compelling after a while to watch them against the B plus A minus guys. Um, but that might be about to change for Shakur because there are so many bigger fights and bigger threats awaiting at lightweight. So I won't I won't say I'm happy that he couldn't make weight, but you know there's a silver lining in him failing to make weight in that okay he is a lightweight now let's make some mega fights. These are fights he could win, could lose. He could climb into the top three or so pound for pound with one win or, of course, drop out of the top 20 or so with a clear-cut loss. But Haney, Tank Davis, Lomachenko, none of those are more than like 60-40 fights one way or the other. And even Isak Cruz, a half level down maybe from those guys, would probably be the toughest fight of Shakur's career so far. Um, But... You asked about his lack of power. Yeah, it's a concern. It's why those fights are only 50-50-ish. If he had mm. Tank Davis-level power in addition to the skill he has, he'd be almost unbeatable. Um, I want to see him continue to work the body. He can obviously punch hard enough to make a dent with body shots. He'll need to continue doing that against these elite potential opponents at lightweight. And as far as becoming a star... Yeah, the ceiling is a bit limited. You know, Floyd Mayweather, we always point out, he was this freak outlier where he developed a persona that some loved, some hated, and he became the richest boxer in history, despite his fights not always delivering much action. That's the outlier. You can't count on other guys pulling that off. Stevenson doesn't seem to me to have much potential to be a crossover star. And so I'm curious to see how eager... Tank or Loma or Haney or Ryan Garcia, how eager any of them are to fight him. You know, the the risk reward ratio is maybe slightly Mm. less than desirable against Stevenson for now. Yeah, I think you've really hit the nail on the head there, you know, because I was really wondering about the issue with power and like it's entertaining enough. It's not like he was boxing off the back foot at all against Concesau. You know, he was he was certainly trying to make it entertaining, like you said. And and the same with Valdez, really. He was, you know, he goes in there and, and he certainly if you appreciate good boxing, it's certainly a lot to appreciate there. But I you do did I did wonder, you know, at what point are people going to be bored with watching him win eleven rounds against against contenders? But I think you made a really good point there that you know moving up to one thirty five is perhaps going to limit the likelihood of him just. I mean, there'll still be fights, right, where there'll be voluntary defenses or whatever, assuming right. he wins a title that he'll just outclass guys. And like you said, right. Roy had that for a long stretch. Um, Floyd did that even against very good fighters because he was that good at mm-hmm. welterweight. Um, Purnell did it. And you mentioned Purnell as well. Same yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but interspersed with those were the the fights with genuine apparent jeopardy. And, you know, if he boxes like that and wins in tough fights against some of the kind of guys that you mentioned, then... Look, yeah, I don't think that's going to affect his bottom line at all. I think that's going to absolutely, if anything, sort of increase his popularity because people are going to know that he's sort of walking a tightrope there um, with his lack of power. And then, like you said, it's going to put him at a slight disadvantage. But against that, it's just a tremendous speed and ring smarts. And honestly, even against the likes of Valdez and Concesao, who are, you know, perhaps the two best 130-pounders, not named Shakur Stevenson, it almost looked like he was he could be bored in there and just yeah. going through the motions and still dominate him. So maybe we'll see the best of Shakur Stevenson when he's really pushed. Um, you know, he's, he's dealt with what we thought would be real challenges so easily 
that yeah, let's see him in against the Davises and the Haneys and all these guys and see what he can he can do. Yeah, what a what a great division lightweight is, and Stevenson appears to be a potentially great fighter. So uh, yes, a good good division for him to land in right about now. And 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 by the way, one quick comment on the co-feature on the Stevenson Conceição mm. card. I just want to point out that the businessman is a terrible nickname for Keyshawn Davis. (laughs) His brain trust needs to put on a pot of coffee, sit down, close the door, get back to work. And and don't leave until they have a nickname that doesn't make a sports fan want to change the channel. Unless he, like, comes in like all Rick Rude, right, with a briefcase and a... a suit and he cuts a promo and then rips the suit off. Are you thinking of Erwin R. Scheister, not Rick Rude? Didn't Rick Rude do that for a while as well? Like when he wasn't really wrestling, like after he was, he was oh, just like you're a right. type. Yeah, I guess he was still wrestling, but later on with the short hair, you're right. Maybe yes. he, yeah. Okay, I'm thinking of the, the long-haired Rick Rude where it was the robe that would come off and all that. But yeah, you may be right. Okay, sorry to challenge your wrestling reference. No, it's okay. My, rest, my wrestling sort of knowledge is, is really fixed in the Attitude Era, and that's basically all I know. So <laughs> okay. otherwise I yield. Although I do have a wrestling, a wrestling reference coming up. Oh, all right. Wow. Quite a tease. Yeah. <laughs> and now and now the wrestling haters will turn off the podcast at the 25 <laughs> minute mark. Uh, all right. So uh, I, I've just given uh, Team Keyshawn Davis uh, an assignment to work on. Uh, I also have something for you to work on okay. now, Kieran. It's time to play Make the Match. I name a boxer. You tell me who they should fight next, both from a fan perspective and from a matchmaker perspective. And lucky you, you get to do double the work this week. Um, (laughs) I'm going to give you a quick, fun, fake assignment before I give you your real assignment. Uh, You see, Karen, Floyd Mayweather, quote unquote, fought on Saturday night in Japan. He scored a KO2 over MMA fighter Mikuru Asakura, and also apparently... Floyd's bodyguard Jizzy Mack fought on the undercard, and I'm glad Brian Campbell isn't with us this week to react to the name <laughs> Jizzy Mack. Uh, but anyway, let's have some fun, Kieran. Before we get to your real make the match assignment, Floyd in an exhibition versus whatever C list or D list celebrity or athlete from another sport, etc. Who would you like to see him face next? Make the match. Well, firstly, I hope Jizzy Mack won, because otherwise I can't imagine Floyd keeping him around as a bodyguard if he, if he couldn't win in a, a fight or an exhibition. You don't I, happen to know. I actually, I believe that the uh, result I read was that he lost. Really? <laughs> yes. oh. Now, I don't know if he gets replaced as bodyguard by the guy who beat him. I'm not sure how that all works, but he probably ought to. But, yeah, probably. Actually, at the very least, the guy's like not getting another bundle of, of hundreds anytime soon, and he's <laughs> right. he's getting a lot of fun made out of him but okay Floyd you know what um you know he seems to enjoy doing these exhibitions in Japan mm-hmm. um you know Antonio Inoki is still alive <laughs> I checked Jeez. okay he could not only face him but then he could proclaim that he was he performed better against Inoki than Muhammad Ali did right that just feels like that ticks all the necessary Floyd Mayweather boxes there <laughs> yes he's 79 but psh- um <laughs> so is is that your wrestling reference that you teased? Yeah, you kind of okay. had indicated that you might you might ask me about this. So I actually did a little bit of I did right. more research for this than I do for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> um he did he also said that he he was doing an interview with a British journalist last week and he said, "Yeah, sure, I'd be interested in going to Britain if the right opportunity presented itself." Well, how about Prince Harry? Um <laughs> if Harry's ever allowed back into Britain, 
Um, you know, he could fight him there, or he could fight him in L.A. where Harry and Meghan live now. And Floyd would have the advantage then of not necessarily being the universal heel in the U.K. Because depending on how royalist you are, right? Um, and particularly in the aftermath of the Queen's passing, you know, you might think, you know what, Harry's going to get what's coming to him. Or maybe you think you'd be pushing for Harry to, to you know win for the the good side of the family or whatever i don't really know <laughs> Look, i'll tell you what though i am at the stage where i think you just gotta hand it to floyd at this point and just he might actually be the most honest man in boxing right now he said in that interview he likes fighting exhibitions because he doesn't want to be in any situation where he might get hurt or take punishment right and he said that and people are still paying him millions upon millions of dollars. And he's 45 years old. He still looks in better shape than a lot of much younger boxers. He puts on more of a show than he did when he was actually fighting as a welterweight. Um, you know, Floyd's greatest asset, even more than his skills, was always, was always his savviness. He knew what he could get away with. He knew how to maximize his earning to risk potential. And now he's just taken it up to a whole other level. I don't know why people want to pay him millions upon millions of dollars for this, but <laughs> they're doing it. And so all I can say is, well, I tip my hat to you, honestly. Yeah. And I mean, he is the greatest businessman in boxing history, but unquestionably smart enough not to nickname him, nickname himself the businessman. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> um, money works a little better, but you know, you you raised the idea of him against Harry and uh, who's the heel in that situation, depending on your perspective. Thinking about opponents for for Floyd, I'm very much focused on black-hearted politicians. I'd like to see get punched repeatedly uh, by a professional yes. boxer. Like I would pay for Floyd versus. Ron DeSantis, for example. So would I, actually. That's valid, yes. <laughs> and on a totally different track, uh, I would also have a hint of interest in Floyd versus the Mountain. I'd find that much more appealing than Tyson Fury versus the Mountain. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay, on to your real assignment. We'll focus on someone we talked about extensively last week. Someone we both might like to see retire, but clearly he is not retiring right now. Gennady Golovkin. Mm -hmm. Clearly he belongs at middleweight, not super middle. The series with Canelo is complete. If he's going to fight on, as a fan, who would you like to see him fight next? And if you were managing him, who would you put him in with? That was a deep sigh. It was, because I would like to see him retire. Mm -hmm. So, as a fan, who would I like to see him fight? I'm looking at the box Rex list here as this goes down a fair, a fair while. Um... You know, it's a bit cruel because I would want to see him fight somebody who I knew he could he could earn some money and beat and right. not get in trouble with. But then that's being cruel to the other person because hmm. you like you want him to be all all Gennady on him. Um, looking at the top 20 or 30 here. Um, and then it's got to be somebody somewhat like credible, right? Like I'm looking at Jason Quigley here, but then mm -hmm. I'm thinking, you know, if. Uh, Demetrius Andrade can knock him out in two rounds. What's even this version of Gennady Golovkin going to do to him? Right. But um, you know what might be interesting? I don't know if he'd want to do it. But what the hell? Janabek Alimkanuli, right? He's he's coming along. Mm -hmm. He's looking pretty good. He's a Kazakh. Be a little bit of a all Kazakh matchup. He's a bit of a mover. He's good. He might be a bit. I don't know. Is he good at? You know what? That's just kind of in that box where he might just be too good for this version of Gennady, but he might not be. Right. Um. That would be intriguing, actually. That might even be a if you insist on fighting. That might fit the fan thing 
and an advisor situation as well. Although, yeah, actually, if I'm his advisor, I'm probably telling him to go to Ireland and fight Jason Quigley. Right. Um, because he's going to win that and he'll get some money. And maybe that would be it. Go on the road a little bit, Gennady. Go and be Denzel Bentley or Jason Quigley or go to Poland and fight Maciej Szulenski, something like that. That might be what, if I were, um, you know, Ali did that for a little while in, right. his, in his old, just went on the road, right? And for, you know, the Brian Londons and whatnot of the world and just and did that. Maybe that would be what I would do if I were his advisor. God, it's just really hard for me to answer as a fan because as a fan, I just, I'm ready for him to retire and I'm afraid that he might lose. Maybe I'll say Alem Kanuli as a fan because it has some interest in it. This is a difficult one for me to yeah. answer. Yeah. I'm, I'm struggling with this one. Yeah. yeah. I, I tell you what, if I was a advisor, I'd say go on the road, get a few fights on the road against people who are popular in their home countries, but who won't beat you and you'll get some nice money and it'll be a nice like end of career tour. The Quigleys, the Sulenskis, the, those kind of guys. And if I was at advisor, yeah, maybe somebody like Alim Kanoli because it could be kind of big. There's a good storyline there. You could still win it. Um, and it's kind of interesting. But that's a really tough one for me to answer. I don't feel like I've come up with a satisfactory response. Well, that, that's a big part of why I wanted to ask you this one was I thought it would put you in an interesting position of and, and all of us in the interesting position of what do we want to see here? kind of torn in two schools of thought as a fan between wanting to see a great fight, you always do, but really preferring just an easy farewell fight type of yeah. assignment on some level. But obviously, based on the way Gennady's talking, it doesn't seem that that's what he's looking for. The next fight is not his farewell fight based on what he has to say. Um, I'm going to throw another name at you. It, it, this is more in the Alim Kanuli sort of mm -hmm. uh, category of like a real fight for him that I think is intriguing as a fan would get a lot of attention and be marketable. What do you think if I throw out the name Jaime Munguia? I mean, it's, it's, it's a fight that it's winnable or losable. It tells us what Gennady has left, I think. And there are certainly storylines behind it since it almost happened. What? Five, six years ago. Exactly. And, and yeah. The Nevada commission nixed it. Um, if, if I had some sort of assurances that if it goes poorly for Gennady, he's ready to step away, I think uh, I think that might be a fight I'd like to see. Yeah. So as an advisor, like that doesn't go in the advisor column at all, right? Right. I think I stay away from Mungia right now. Except, but it except is I don't know. I I really I wouldn't be shocked if Golovkin could still beat Mungia. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. He could do. I guess I still probably would make Golovkin the favorite, but. Yeah, a lot depends on what he still has left. And once you're at that phase where you start to decline, it happens fast, right? Mm. And it looks like it's starting to happen fast for Golovkin. But maybe actually Golovkin still has more than we realize, and Canelo just happened to make him look like he has less. Um, in, in yeah, which case, I'd counter I don't that with... So. I was going to say, Ryota Murata looked, yeah. made him look like he didn't have that much left either. So that's, yeah. that's why so, I would challenge As that. a fan, but not as this fan, right? As a neutral fan who... Right doesn't feel quite as invested in Gennady Golovkin after all these years. I would say I'd be all about it, I think, because it would be intriguing. Um, we, I think probably we, we're at a stage where we do want to see Mungia now start facing better people. He seems to be plateauing in his level of opposition a little yeah. bit here. Um, there is, like you said, the fascinating storyline, the fact that back in 2018, Mungia was considered so 
poorer choice of an opponent that Nevada wouldn't let it happen. Right. Uh, and, and we've since gone through these different, well, maybe he'd be better against him now. Yeah, as a fan who isn't Kira Mulvaney, as a neutral fan who just wanted to see a good fight, I think that's a pretty good matchup. Uh, like, I'd probably still go 55-45 for Golovkin, but that does really depend on how much he has left. And he could certainly take a, a lot of punishment. is not going to be hard for him to find. Um, but my guess is that the trend lines of both guys, the upward trend of Munguia and the downward trend of Golovkin, have probably just about crossed around now. So, mm. yeah, I, I would have to divorce myself from who, who I actually am and how I feel about Golovkin. Right. But yeah, as, as, a, as Joe fan, that's probably a pretty good idea. I think of you as Joe fan, typically, anyway. So. <laughs> yep. Um, all right. Uh, where the hell are we now? Um, <laughs> the news, I believe. The news. The right. That's right. Yeah. Sorry. Struggling to keep up. Um, and and I said, actually yeah. provided you with a perfect segue here into the start of the news. It's true, actually. It is true. But you know, when we, it's always the case that when we feel we don't have very much to talk about, we just talk at greater length about the things we do have to talk about, and then I get lost in my notes. So, <laughs> Understandable. And that's where we are. All right. Indeed, it is an excellent segue, even though I kind of ruined the transition. Um, <laughs> I think this was all quite smooth. Okay. All right. Um, the big stories of the week stem from last weekend's third fight between Gennady Golovkin and Canelo Alvarez. Uh, Canelo, of course, won that by unanimous decision. Um, Canelo stated afterward that he aggravated an injury to his left hand during the fight, and he's now said that that hand will require surgery and that he won't be returning to the ring until at least May and perhaps not until September. Uh, and meanwhile, there's been some back and forth on social media about just how well Saturday night's pay-per-view performed. Dan Rayfield tweeted on Wednesday uh, that his sources had told him it sold only about 550,000 to 575,000 in the US, which is a significant decrease on the 1.3 and 1.1 million that the first two pay-per-views sold on HBO pay-per-view. Uh, the Zone sent out a press, press release shortly afterward. I don't know if it was in response to that or whether they had already planned to, asserting that it had sold 1.06 million. But that was globally. And DAZN bizarrely included new subscriptions to DAZN in its total. Um, plus in the US, the pay-per-view costs considerably more than elsewhere, which certainly affects the total income. Matchroom's Eddie Hearn took to Twitter to say that Raphael's figures were wrong, but despite prodding, did not reveal what he claimed the true US figures to be. Um, Eric, so look, as a Showtime podcast, we do need to be careful not to appear homers and to jump on bad, apparent bad news for other outlets. But given DAZN's attempt to slate of hand and announcing these figures, my money's on Dan being right here. What about you? Yeah, I mean, look, Dan doesn't get his facts wrong. He, he knows yeah. the rules of journalism. He doesn't just blindly throw stuff out there from one anonymous source. Whether you like Dan or don't like Dan, you can't deny he's a reliable, professional yeah. reporter. And it's pretty obvious what's happening here. Eddie is including people who subscribe to DAZN in other countries where it wasn't necessarily a $65 additional charge yeah. for the pay-per-view. And those don't count. Uh, Pay-per-view sales are always reported as the number of purchases in the U.S. and Canada. It doesn't include global sales when people throw their numbers out there after a big fight. Eddie is just changing the rules to try to make the event seem like more of a success than it was. Yeah. Um, but, you know, assuming Dan's numbers are right. And he did also say that it could end up reaching 600,000 maybe as a ceiling, according to his sources. There are interesting takeaways, given that Canelo versus Caleb Plant, 
who has a fraction of the name value of Triple G, sold significantly better last year. I'm going to look like a homer here. There's no way around it. But, you know, Showtime does have the infrastructure to market a pay-per-view. They've been doing it a long time, and they never promised their customers that their goal was to kill pay-per-view. But also, there is a generation of fight fans and sports fans that simply is not interested in watching anything via apps. Um, My co-host on my gambling podcast for my day job, he's in his early 60s. He'll be the first to admit he's not a tech-savvy person. He went on a rant a couple of weeks ago about how Thursday night football is moving to Amazon Prime. Well, screw them. I'm not watching it. I'm not paying for Amazon Prime. And I I think as much as the not paying, it's the I don't know how to do streaming on my TV. And he's not alone. Um, You know, some boxing fans don't have DAZN. They don't have ESPN Plus. They have old school cable. They're fine with paying for Showtime and for many years HBO. They don't want to hear how easy it is uh, if you have a smart TV uh, to, to watch via a streaming network like DAZN. They just aren't interested. So when they see that they need to have the DAZN app to get this Canelo Triple G pay-per-view, I wouldn't be surprised if there's 100,000 or 200,000 older boxing fans who order yeah. lots of pay-per-views who shied away from this one for that reason. Also, I guess the buy rate tells us a lot of people had the sense that Triple G had slipped a lot and that this yeah. wasn't the super fight that the first two were. Um, and then the, the other topic that you you mentioned briefly in setting this up, Canelo's injury and needing time off, it's obviously not great for the sport if its biggest star has to take a full year off. But, you know, if that's what it takes for him to get healthy, so be it. Uh, other fighters will have to step up. Uh, I guess we'll get someone else headlining a Cinco de Mayo pay-per-view. I'd be curious to see who that ends up being. Floyd Mayweather against Ron DeSantis. <laughs> Would purchase. I'm on record. (laughs) Um, All right. Uh, Our news co-main features some heavyweight superstars talking smack about each other. Speaking on his YouTube channel, Alexander Usyk asked what he thought when he saw Anthony Joshua toss his belts out of the ring after Usyk defeated him last month, said, I thought, what a poor fool. He reminded me of a little boy who wanted to play with a ball, but it was taken from him. So he decided to throw it over the neighbor's fence, end quote. I'm not sure quite how he could throw the ball over the fence if it had already been taken from him, but I get what Usyk was going for there. Uh, He also didn't seem thrilled with the prospect of Tyson Fury fighting AJ in December instead of waiting for him in February or March. Usyk said of Fury, despite his toughness and how he is generally described, he is afraid. Yes, of me. Uh, Usyk also said, incidentally, that he hoped to fight three more times, once against Fury, once against Canelo, and a final fight in Ukraine. Uh, rather predictably, Usyk's barbs earned a response from the Gypsy King. Uh, he said, and uh, sorry, I'm, I'm not going to try a Tyson Fury impression here. Fast. I'll just read this in my voice. I can't do Fury. I've tried and I suck at okay. it. Uh, he said, Usyk, you little shithouse, I'm afraid of you. I'll put my fist right through the side of you, you little sausage. Joshua is a shithouse. Usyk, a shithouse. You're all shithouses. Um, in a video he posted to social media, he also said that Joshua had not returned a contract for their mooted December 3rd fight, saying he's had the contract for I don't know how long and ain't signing it. You little sausage, you do not want to fight. However, I will be fighting on December 3rd if this sausage does not sign this contract, which I don't think he is because I don't think he's got the bollocks to. Kieran, you little shithouse, you little sausage. Your thoughts? <laughs> um, actually, um, I thought the most interesting thing that Usyk said, uh, he's said quite a lot on this uh, YouTube channel of his. Most interesting thing had nothing to do with Fury or anybody else. He was 
talking about training for his fight and how I think we might have touched on it before that one of the things he did like to do was hold, you know, hold his breath underwater. And, and he was describing like how he would fight through the desire to kick for the surface and take a breath when everything started to become extremely uncomfortable and painful. And when the fear kicked in, he goes, that's exactly when you don't you don't give in. Hmm. And he mentioned that at one point he overdid it and he fainted and he had to be fished out of the pool. Wow. I mean, we take it on board <laughs> and just accept that boxes are absurdly strong mentally and physically. But I feel like this is just on another level. You force yourself to confront death by drowning to give yourself the mental and physical fortitude to cope with Anthony Joshua. I mean, that just, that's just incredible to me. But um, anyway, back to the questions you actually asked me. Um, I was interested to see the candor with which Usyk talked about AJ's meltdown. He'd been he'd been pretty careful to avoid being too cool, I thought, in the immediate right. aftermath. But with a bit of time has passed by, and he just obviously feels comfortable just gently venting at the way that Joshua's actions, you know, they were understandable, but they were petulant, and they they took away from Usyk's moment. Um, and I don't believe for a second that Usyk believes that Fury is afraid of him, but he knows that Fury is pretty easy to poke. And so he's just going to go and poke him. Um, I think clearly with the intention, I, I think, like you said, uh, with regard to Joe Joyce, he'd probably be quite happy if, you know, Fury didn't fight in December and just waited and for, for Usyk in February or March. Right. Um, as for the stuff that Fury's been saying, well, he's now said there isn't final agreement by Monday. Um, I think Monday evening, the deal is off. Um, to which Eddie Hearn said, well, the contract won't be ready by then. So goodbye <laughs> um and so i think we you know we'll see soon enough how serious everybody is about making this fight i i've i've wondered from the beginning about whether everyone was super serious about doing this but we'll see i, I just think fury likes to hear it now he needs to hear his own voice yep not go more than a few days without being talked about and i think it's important for him as well to appear to be the person who's steering the ship he doesn't like appearing to have to be waiting for other people there's something about creating that sense of brinkmanship that you know maybe that just gets his adrenaline going or whatever he's always got to have some kind of conflict even when he's not actually in the ring um it does sound as if what's happening now is it's just simply the normal back and forth of a contract details and even if Fury does say on Monday, right, I haven't got the contracts, I'm off, that I suspect that work will continue if people are serious about making the fight. So that when Fury retires again on Wednesday and then unretires <laughs> on Thursday, right. it'll be ready. And the thing is, I will say, if it does get done, the fact that it's even at this stage, it's really fast for, for boxing con contracts. I mean, look how long we've been talking about Terence Crawford and Errol Spence. And this just happened because Fury just threw it out there. Mm -hmm. um, and so... It's a bit much for Fury to be impatient about it because it's actually getting done. And it actually shows, if it does get done, how when the boxers involved go, let's make this fight happen. I want this fight to happen. Don't let anything get in the way. These are the broad parameters. It can get done. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. I'm sure there'll be some back and forth. If people are, if people are serious about it, it'll get done. If they're not serious about it, they won't. But we'll see. Yeah, I have to say, I'm... I'm... I've grown really tiresome or really tired of uh, Fury's social yeah. media posts and his yeah. personality and all. It's a good thing for him. He's such a great fighter because yes. otherwise I would have tuned him out entirely by now. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's gotten worse too, I think. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. Anyway, uh, moving on. A couple of fights that have been confirmed or seemingly about to be. 
Boxer has confirmed the Clarissa Shields, Savannah Marshall, Michaela Mayer, Alicia Baumgartner doubleheader will now be taking place on October 15th. Katie Taylor will be returning to the ring two weeks later on October 29th, defending her undisputed lightweight championship against Karen Elizabeth Carabajal at Wembley Arena. And according to the aforementioned Dan Raphael, Naoya Inoue's bantamweight unification bout with Paul Butler is scheduled for December 13th in Japan, with an official announcement to come very soon. There are a couple of fights to mention uh, this coming weekend as well. On October 1st, Luis Neri returns in a 122-pound contest against Jesus Ruiz Garcia in Tijuana. While all the way out in Almaty, Kazakhstan, Jarrell Big Baby Miller fights for the third time since his suspension for multiple performance-enhancing drug violations. And I was totally on top of the fact that he'd already fought twice since then. I definitely... <laughs> Definitely didn't need you to point that out to me. Um, he takes on Ebenezer Tete. Uh, Eric, thoughts? Um, yeah, you're, you're breaking that fourth wall again, letting the listeners know that uh, <laughs> yeah, so, sometimes, uh, in this case, the original outline has a fact wrong. And like the good podcast partners we are, we point it out in advance instead of hanging the other guy <laughs> off to dry. Um, regardless, I can't summon any interest in Jarrell Miller at this point. Um, but I suppose if he can pass tests, he has a right to fight wherever they'll let him fight. And I have a right not to care much. Uh, good thing we have a Showtime Championship boxing card to preview next week, because there won't be much in the way of post-fight discussions on next week's pod. Um, as noted previously, October 15th is going to have a lot of fights, and you and I will both have our non-boxing real-life distractions to deal with. Uh, but I am glad that women's fight card got rescheduled quickly, uh, as Breadman suggested, uh, just about the right amount of time to mm. take a couple of days off and then get back to it and hopefully be able to peak again on October 15th. Um, as for Katie Taylor, uh, not much to say about her, but I will just ask, what is the deal with all the female Carabajals all of a sudden? I was thinking the same thing, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if the two, if Brenda Carabajal and Karen Carabajal are related. Uh, that would help explain the multiple Carabajals on the scene. I'm not sure, but uh, should have done better research on that, I suppose. I'll get back to that on a, on a future edition. Um, as for, <laughs> in a way's opponent, Paul Butler. Um, yeah, he grabbed some interim belt recently, and I guess it became the full belt, so they can advertise this as a unification, but this looks to me like easy work for Inouye. Most fights are easy work for Inouye, of course, but Butler looks entirely ordinary to me, and uh, you don't want to be ordinary against Noah Inouye. Um, one more late-ish breaking story. Matchroom's Eddie Hearn has filed a defamation suit against Jake Paul after Paul claimed Matchroom paid off Judge Glenn Feldman. Paul's ire was raised by Feldman scoring the fight between Katie Taylor, promoted by Matchroom, and Amanda Serrano, promoted by Paul, 97-93 for Taylor, the widest score on the night, and unquestionably a bad scorecard. Feldman then scored Oleksandr Usyk's fight with Anthony Joshua, 115-113 for Joshua, which was arguably an even worse scorecard. This type of shit, Paul said in an interview with IFL-TV, I'm going to call it out here in boxing because it's bullshit. Clearly, this guy is getting paid money by matchroom boxing, end quote. Kieran, should Jake Paul have chosen his words more carefully here? And does Eddie Hearn have a case? Yeah, and the big problem was that Jake Paul kept going. Um, quote, they're not even trying to hide it. You'd think they'd get a different judge that fucked up the scoring from Taylor Serrano. You'd think they'd get a different judge to bring to Saudi Arabia, especially since he's from the U.S. Why all of a sudden does he appear in Saudi You'd think they'd get a different judge to try to hide the corruption that they're bringing to the sport, but it's so blatantly obvious. Um, 
look, we all know that there are a lot of issues with boxing and with the way the sport and the business is run and with some judging. And we all know that an awful lot in this business is not above board. But to paraphrase Carl Sagan, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. If you're going to come out and accuse a promoter of very specifically bribing a very specific judge for two very specific fights, you better have the receipts. Mm. Um, You know, even when... Bob Arum's gone on his post-fight rants when he hasn't gotten the decisions he wanted. And I'm reminded in particular of when Oscar lost to Felix Trinidad and and the rematch with Shane Mosley. He'd rant about Nevada. He'd make unspecific accusations of corruption. He'd state that he was disgusted by certain judges' scorecards and ask what the hell they were watching and suggest they were corrupt in vague terms. But even he didn't get too close to the sun. I mean, he's a lawyer. He kind of knows where he's got some wiggle room. And when he did box himself in a corner, he would climb down pretty fast. Um, I rather doubt that this is the hill that Jake Paul wants to die on. I I rather doubt that Hearn is going to push this all the way. Um, My guess is that Jake Paul finds a face-saving way to back off some of his specific accusations while keeping like the general sense of this this sport is totally corrupt and I want to try and clean it up. And if Eddie Hearn wants, you know, Eddie Hearn should, should try and do it with me. And Hearn will try to extract maybe not a pound of flesh, but a few ounces and then let it go would be my guess. And then Paul will learn that there is a lesson. There's an extremely vague line in boxing and you have to kind of almost, you know, instinctively know where it is, but he'll get a bit of a sense of where it is and what he can't cross. And then we'll all move on to the next thing. But I don't know. I guess it depends just how pissed Eddie Hearn is at Jake Paul and whether he wants to try and drive him out of boxing or whatever. I don't know. I would like to get the opinion if I cared that much, I guess I would like to get the opinion of someone who actually knows about this kind of thing. Someone like a Steven Espinosa. And I'm sure that's exactly what Steven would like to talk to us about when we next talk to him is an Eddie Hearn lawsuit against Jake Paul. But, I'm sure. Yes. Yeah. But that would be my guess is that at some point somebody climbs down and we move on. OK, let's uh, let's wrap this up. Uh, it's time for your top five challenge. And it's a straightforward one. Um, Shakur Stevenson has announced he is moving up to compete at lightweight, which we all knew he would. And we talked earlier, you and I, about how well he might do at 135 pounds. And of course, as one of the original eight divisions, 135 pounds has seen plenty of not just good, but truly great champions. Your challenge is on one level simple, but not that simple because you've got a lot of choice. Who are your top five lightweights of all time, Eric? Okay. I, I figured that was where this was heading as you were starting to set it up there. And uh, I'm turning and looking around my office at some of the uh, books that I have here. And yeah. I believe I believe there's a, uh, a ring annual from the mid-90s where Steve Farhood did the top five in every division. So I'm just going to steal his list and uh, update it a bit, perhaps. Um, Fair enough. Why not? <laughs> uh, no, I will take his list into consideration. Uh, perhaps use it as a, a bit of a building block uh, and then come up with my own list, which may indeed include some lightweights from the past 25 years or so since he made mm. his list. Yeah, I think that's the only challenge with that. Like, there's, there's no shortage of people to pick here. It's it's the, the problem might be the other way around. Right. But uh, OK, all time great lightweights, as, as we did discuss uh, earlier in the podcast, this is uh, a division that is well worthy of our interest at the moment and hopefully for the next several years. So, uh, okay, let's look back at the past of this great division next Indeed. week. All right, that will do it for this week's edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Many thanks to Sebastian and Gabriella Fondora for their time. We'll be back next week with more news and hopefully a big interview for you as well. Uh, until then, thank you for listening. Be safe, be kind, and be well. <laughs>